Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. All right, well, uh, we have a guest speaker today um, as we are continuing in our series, Fool's Gold, where we're looking at the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs and, and the wisdom that's in the scriptures. Um, uh, this week, we have Anne Miranda. She's my friend from Vancouver, and she's also, uh, she grew up here, spent her childhood in Edmonton, so a little bit later when we welcome her, I'd love for us to give a, a warm Edmonton welcome to her. Uh, coming back, the weather's been nice for us this week. Wasn't as nice for Steve last week. Uh, <laughs> but for Anne, uh, a little bit about her. Anne is a communications coach with the Center for Public Speaking. She is the co-founder for, of Leverage for Women's Leadership and a champion for Ally Global, an organization that focuses on empowering women and children who've been rescued from sex trafficking. Her experience includes being the National Ministries Director at the Canadian Church Leaders Network, the woman's pastor at Village Church Canada, a high school English and, and Spanish teacher, and uh, she has worked with the Attorney General's Office leading initiatives for crime and violence prevention for youth in British Columbia. So can we give her a warm Edmonton welcome? Emily, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you, Diana. Uh, just thrilled to be with you. I'm going to change my bio. I know you want to get to know me. That's why we gave the bio. Uh, imagine going to a place and hearing the bio of someone. I'm a child of God. I'm an image bearer. I'm a dealer of peace and hope. I like that way better than what we just read. Um, and that is, that's who I am. And that's who you are. I'm beloved. Uh, I, I'm just super glad to be here with you if you are tuning in from other campuses or online. Beulah, you are extended family to me. I love your staff. I love being here. So thank you for that warm welcome. If I haven't met you uh, yet or haven't seen you last year when I was here, I'm uh, Lebanese heritage. And my husband, I'm married to Carlos, romantic Latino. And we have these two beautiful kiddos, Nathaniel and Hannah, 14 and 12 years old, big brown eyes, curly wavy hair, and stunning. Oh, I'm just like one of those mamas that are in love with my kiddos. Um, I don't do well with surface talk. I just dive right in. So I apologize for getting real so, like, so fast, but I just don't have time for surface talk. So I might talk about the weather just a little bit or how like you're wearing a cool outfit, but then I just jump right in really deep, really fast. Um, so I'm going to just jump right in. This year for me has been really tough, like one of probably the most hardest years of my whole life. And I've had so much personal loss. Um, I, on my mom's side of the family, we've had funeral after funeral after funeral. It's like playing a really bad game of musical chairs where the same people are at the funerals and they're just moving positions. And as I'm personally suffering and the loss of two of my best friends, um, I've been journeying along people that have been suffering too and entering into their pain. And then I hear in society, like what we just prayed about, the global pain and suffering that is happening. And I'm an empath, so I like enter into that pain. And 
then I've been sitting in these spaces with the Canadian church. And I've been entering into the suffering and the lament of the church body as things have come to light and God's cleaning up house. Uh, it's been difficult. It's been really difficult. And so I felt like my year has been unearthed. Just things coming up all over the place. And it seemed like a lot of noise, like a lot. And I, if I could, I would take you to coffee at the Italian center up the street because I'm in love with the coffee there. Like I get off the plane in Edmonton and I go to the coffee. Ooh. And we would sit and we'd have a latte or a cappuccino or a pizza. And we would talk and I would say to you, how do you clear up the fog when there's so much noise? I want to know. Because I have been working hard this year to clear up the fog and to stay focused. So I have downloaded apps. I have, you know, done those Bible reading apps. I've done all the things to try to keep my mind focused. Because I remember being a mama of a four-year-old, little Hannah. And little Hannah had big emotions. And if she was happy, she was like really happy. And if she was sad, she was like, Bleh. and if she was mad, Lord have mercy. It's like, oh, I know that you're Latina and that you're Arab and you're this mix as well. It's like uh, electric. But we could blame it on culture, but she had big emotions as a four-year-old. So I walk into the preschool and I go, okay, teacher Wendy, who is an angel sent from heaven, um, how... What is going on? Is my kid the only one that has these big feelings? And she's like, oh, no, this is four-year-old preschool. Let me teach you a trick, mama. And she pulls me aside and she goes, these fingers that you have, they are candles. And I tell the kids the same thing. I'm like, okay. She goes, they have to take when they feel big emotions, whether it's positive or negative, big deep breath in, blow out the candle. Big deep breath in, blow out the candle. I'm like, I am going to use that. Guys, I have used that trick from four years old till now. Every time I'm like, do you got big feelings? Let's go blow out the candles. But imagine doing that as an adult. Well, you're going to sit in your car and blow, blow out the candles. And you can repeat it as many times as you want, she said. And so I'm like, okay, but this, what about me? How am I going to do this for me? And so I'm choosing to anchor myself in the word and in worship because of all of that noise. And so much of it sounds like truth, but it's not and so my prayer has been rooted in Proverbs chapter 2. And when I read scripture, sometimes I just take it and I pray it right back up to God. And I'm like, God, wisdom comes from you, Lord. You give wisdom. From your mouth comes knowledge and understanding. For wisdom, I need it, Lord, to enter my heart. I need your knowledge to be pleasant to my soul. See how powerful that is? It's just like that picture I showed you of my kids. They were, we were in a mine. If you ever get to go to Squamish in British Columbia, there's a place that's like a mine. You go in there and you, they give you like a little baggie of pebbles at the very end. And there's stones that are painted like gold. And then they have to go and they have to mine for gold. And they find the gold and they're like, Mama, I found gold. But it's like the series. It's called Fool's Gold. And so we know it's not real. But we sell. We're like, yay, you found the gold. And inside I'm like, that ain't gold. It's, what, it's counterfeit. It's just like these rings. From a distance, you don't know which one's real and which one's fake. And if you're not the expert who has studied real gems, like a geologist or a jeweler, you don't know which one's real and which one's fake. Because they both shine in the light, and the light hits them, and they're both durable, 
and they both match my outfit. So they serve their purpose. But we have to be able to identify the counterfeit because in God's economy, there's something that is more treasured than gold. It's called wisdom. It's more treasured than silver. It's called wisdom. So our goal is to, to search for that wisdom. And today, we're studying the topic of being brothers and sisters. Why are we called brother and sister? Why are we a spiritual family? And indeed, we need to understand this in this generation because, church, we've got it wrong. Something's going on. We need insight. And if you were a guest today, welcome, welcome. I am so glad you came. You are going to be like a fly on the wall in a family meeting. And in my house, we have family meetings. We call them together. Kids don't know necessarily what we're meeting about. Sometimes we bring our points and everybody kind of gets an idea. But most of the time, they don't understand the fullness of what we're going to talk about. And we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So welcome to the family meeting. You didn't know what you were going to come for, but here we are. And every time we have a family meeting, my family goes to me, Mama, are you excited? Are you like, are you angry? Are you excited? Are you okay? And I'm like, I just get animated. And they're like, but your eyes get really big. I'm like, I know. It's because I care. I care about my family. So I'll sacrifice for my family. So I'll get excited about my family. I will fight for my family because I care. And I care about you, Beulah Church. I care about you, Beulah family. And so I'm coming with all of me to do my best to unpack what it means to be family of God. But I don't want to save the best for last. I'm going to break all the preacher speaking rules. I'm going to tell you what I want us to leave with today. I want us to leave with loving God more. I want us to leave with loving his church on this planet more. And I want us to leave with loving Beulah church more. Your Beulah family more. And so I want to pray with us. Father God, I thank you for calling us to this place. I thank you for calling us your family and for choosing us. And I pray that today we would have a greater revelation of who you are as Father and who we are as a family of God on this planet. And like the song that we sang, that we are chosen, we are not forsaken, Lord God, but we are part of your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that we would understand what it means to have a father in heaven, and to live out family on this planet. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here's the thing, friends, is that family is such a packed word in our generation. If I asked each one of us, what does family mean to you, we're going to have so many different definitions. And if you've seen this movie, um, Jesus Revolution, I won't spoil it for you, but you should, you should see it. It's quite fascinating, even as like a historical documentary. Uh, there's this character, Greg, and he says this one line. Someone asks him about family, and he says, family, I don't know what it feels like. It's exactly, it encapsulates kind of the hurt around the word family. A lot of people don't know what it feels like. And they've experienced broken family or brokenness in the family. And then we come to Scripture and we imply our imperfect idea of family to God's perfect design. So I'm going to do my best to walk us through this because we're on this journey to gain wisdom. And so I went to one of the wisest young people I know, um, my 14-year-old son, and I was like, okay, Nathaniel, I'm driving him to school, and I said, Nathaniel, how do we become family? And he's like, what? 
I said he was wise, but I didn't say it. It's perfect. So I'm like, how do we become family? Like, what makes somebody a family? And he goes, well, I'm born, like, into the family, so we're blood-related. I'm like, yeah, true. More child. What else? He's like, I, if I get married, then that person's part of the family. I'm like, yeah, that's true. He goes, and those people that you had over last week, you know, the ones you went out with, they were... They adopted a little girl into their family, so you can become family by adoption. I was like, yes, yes, uh-huh, what else? And, and then he's like, and then I have my baseball family. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, they're like, I spend time with them. I hang out with them. We call each other family. I was like, oh, that's the message. <laughs> so that's the map. We're just going to use those points of the 14-year-old boy in my car. Because that is as easy as that. Community caught my attention because he said it so naturally that I was like oh this is interesting it's a group of people that come together and they have memories together and they share life together and that could mean I mean we use these words saying the, the community that I live in the region that I live in or an Instagram you know we follow the influencer of choice and we call ourselves the insta fam and then we have our sports community or in this case the Oilers community and I heard a hallelujah. You know, we're bonding together on something that we enjoy, our work community, our school community. The idea of brotherhood and sisterhood is the idea of getting tighter and tighter in relationships because we have passion for a cause or a reason to, to unite. And so if we do this really well, then when the song, We Are Family, comes out on the wedding that we go to and everybody gets off their seat and they start to, that's the song that gets everybody electric. And everyone starts celebrating. You know you've been there at the wedding, that, that song played. It's so fun. Look, um, sisterhood is something interesting that I've heard, especially in the last 10 days because we had International Women's Day. And people threw around that word sisterhood, sisterhood, to celebrate women and girls and education for women and girls and empowerment for women and girls. They're like, yeah, we're part of the sisterhood. Or like female entrepreneurs came together and they would throw that word around sisterhood or brotherhood, same thing. I know like Fortune 500 companies, they call each other like the brotherhood or the carpentry. They call each other, this is the brotherhood of businesses. My uh, expertise was in crime and violence prevention. And we had to study the concept and psychology of belonging and loyalty in gangs and the mafia. And it actually grew in me and in my husband Carlos, this deep empathy, deep empathy. And we would go out and do like street evangelism in Vancouver. And in one of those times, Carlos met a guy named Diego and he invited him to church. He prayed for him there on the street. And then Diego gave his life to Jesus. And then he came to church. And it was just this incredible encounter with Christ. And something that was just so moving to see someone surrender their life. And over that, the next few months, he would come to church by himself. And he would sit beside us because he felt comfortable. And because most of the people, I mean, I, I, I didn't tell you that Diego is tattooed all over his face, including inside his mouth. And so, rightfully so, some of the people would clench their purse a little tighter, would move a little bit closer into their family, whoever was sitting around them. Diego felt comfortable with us, so he'd sit with us. And at that time, I had eight-month-old eight uh, Hannah. And Hannah was one of those kids that just loved to be with mom and dad. She'd never be squirmy. She didn't like to go with other people. And there we were, and Hannah was extending, like overextending herself to go to Diego.
And I had a choice to make. Is he my brother? Because I have two brothers, and I wouldn't think twice about giving Hannah to them if she was doing that. And I'm not saying this is for everyone. But I did give him Hannah to hold. And in that moment, and I thought about it more than twice, as in just being real, being honest. In that moment, I had to think, Lord, is he my brother, or am I just saying that because it sounds nice? And something happened supernaturally in that man. That young man was so broken. And it was like God saying, just, Diego, how you're holding this little Hannah so tender, so careful. I'm holding you, Diego. You're my beloved. You're my kid. You're my child. I've chosen you. I've not forsaken you. You're mine. And I was just like, oh my gosh, Lord. Who does Jesus say are his brothers and sisters? Those that do the will of God. Jesus defines brotherhood and sisterhood differently, not by natural relationships, but by spiritual connections because we come together to worship God. We come together to learn about God. We come together in this community to awaken greater Edmonton to King Jesus. And so what does that look like? It looks like grieving with the city. It looks like loving on the city. It looks like loving a neighbor. It looks like volunteering in kids' church, and that whole wing just said amen. It looks like mentoring in the, a youth. It looks like going to a young adult's small group. And all of that is happening at Beulah. I asked Pastor Daniel. He gave me the list. Everybody's doing that here. It's amazing because you're living out Acts chapter 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. My favorite verses in verse 42 to the end. I'm going to read it for you in the Passion Translation. It says, The community continually committed themselves to learning what the apostles taught them. They gathered for fellowship. They broke bread and prayed. And everyone felt a sense of awe because the apostles were doing many signs and wonders among them. There was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believed. They shared their material possessions and trust. They sold any possessions and goods that didn't benefit the community. They used the money for everybody in need. They were unified as they worshipped at the temple. And in the homes, they broke bread. They shared meals. They had glad and generous hearts. And you know what God did? He added people. And then he added people. And then he added more people. Because that kind of family is magnetic. That kind of family bears the image of God on this planet. That hospitality, that welcoming, that love. It's irresistible. It's a force that draws people to us and we point them to Jesus because what they're seeing is the image of God in each one of us. Amen? Amen. This is beautiful. I'm not saying to religiously go and say, oh, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. I've seen too many of those traditions. Or swing the pendulum the other way and everyone's like, bravo, sis. Like, how you doing? You know, my, my kids got me this sweater. It's my coziest sweater. I love it. When, my, when that kid see me put this on, like, we're family now. That's a picture. No makeup and mommy had messy bun do. So when I put that on, my kids know they're going to have a good day of baking. They're going to see mom really relaxed. We're not going anywhere. And this is one of those days. And I go downstairs, and I'm cooking up a storm. I'm just, like, having fun. They're playing board games and all that. And my sister-in-law's father... Uh, lives, he's from the Midwest, they're from the Midwest in the States, and he was over, and he says, Anne, I understand 
mama. I understand mommy. I get it, mom. <laughs> but what's bruh? <laughs> and I'm like, well, my kids say that I'm uh, their friend. They trust me. I'm their confidant. And, he, and my kids are like rolling their eyes. They're like, oh my gosh, mom. And I'm like, well, you try to explain this in like, you know, terms that he's going to get it. I'm just trying my best here. And then my mom, Middle Eastern, a little nosy, comes in and goes, what are you talking about? And I'm like, he's reading my shirt. And he's like, oh, what is this? What's this mean? What is this? What she doesn't know is my mother-in-law, who's Latina. Bruja means witch in Spanish. I'm like, this is not working well. This slang is like done. I'm done. Like no one gets it. The American Lebanese. Like, oh my gosh, we're done here. And so she, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm not talking about slang. I'm not talking about popular culture, the terms that are kind of thrown around. I'm talking about we, brothers and sisters in Christ, receive the lavish love of God. And then we pour it out on this planet. We are supposed to receive that, that kindness, the generosity, the love of the Lord. And then we pour it out. Because you know what happens in that atmosphere. The captives are set free, it says in Isaiah 61. The blind can see and the lame can walk and the dead resurrect. Amen? If we live out family, if we live out love, the city will change. That's God's recipe, not us. It's God's recipe. He's requiring us to receive that lavish love and then share it. It's actually beautiful because you know what I want is by the end of this, you will love God more and you will love his church more than how you entered. But let me tell you, this is hard to imagine the concept of family because we've had so much dysfunction in our earthly family. Even if you've had like perfect, beautiful family, there's still healing. There's still healing that needs to happen. And I wish I could tell you that when you come into this church family, it will be utopia. It will be perfection and it won't. It will not. It breaks our hearts because I wish I could tell you that it is going to be perfect. But disagreement is something so common that Paul wrote about it over and over and over again. And so in 1 Corinthians, he actually pleads with brothers and sisters. And he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of you agree with one another. Like, what would he tell the church of this generation? That there would be no divisions among you but that you'd be perfectly united in mind and thought. Brothers and sisters from Chloe's house have informed me that there are some quarrels among you. Like Chloe's people are telling on the other people and they're saying, Paul, it's a mess. People are fighting. And Paul's like, strive for unity because if we have unity, God commands his blessing. That's not my idea. That's his idea. If we can have unity together as family of God... He will command his blessing. Do you know how many juicy narratives there are in the Bible? Have you read about the dysfunctional families? Like Joseph's brothers sold him to slavery. Cain killed Abel. There's this widow and she has an or, uh, her child. She's like a single mama with her child. And then he dies and Elijah comes. You know the, the stories that are in there? Like it's wild. Timothy is raised by his grandma and his mom and his dad's not even a believer. And then we have Paul and Jesus, and they're single. 
Where's all the single ladies? All the single and the guys too. Okay, Th this was something that singlehood was like an, a viable option, and it was something that was elevated. Not like what we do today in church where marriage is elevated more than single. Singleness never disqualified anybody from ministry. You can actually go farther in ministry and do work, kingdom work. Because when you get married, you have less freedom. And then you have kids and then you have less freedom to do that work. But both are good. Both are good. <laughs> we need the married. And the churches are part, that's what makes part of our church family. The married and the singles and the single parents, and the blended families, and the widows, and the orphans, and the multi-generational um, folks, and the multicultural folks, and the diverse socio-economical families that are in here. All of it makes up the current family of God, but it's messy, and we all bring in our baggage. But I am going to ask you to, to reflect in yourself. Like, have you been hurt by the church? Have you been hurt by your church family? Because I am so sorry if you have, and I know exactly what that feels like. Because if you're here long enough, just like our natural families, you will get hurt, and you will hurt others. Abuse is different. That's a totally different topic. I'm talking about people. We have disagreements. We have disappointments. But we can reflect on that, and we can release forgiveness because we're looking to be wiser and love the Lord God more and love his church more. And so we go back to the map. We become families through community and through adoption. And this is beautiful because J.I. Packer writes, this is the original design of God's family is adoption. Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. It's the highest privilege the gospel offers. So let's just unpack that a little bit because the way we understand adoption is important. Like we sang the song, the chasm that is between us and God. We understand that. We get that as believers, that it's our sin that divides us from God. The, the thing that came in between is the cross that then reconciles or reconnects us to God and that forgiveness is extended. And in that moment, family is extended. In that moment, adoption is extended to humanity where God says, come, you belong to me. You belong to my family. So the the way we understand adoption is really important. And I spoke to my friends. I have a, a dear friend, Joel, who said, he's like, Ann, I'm a father, biological father, and I have adopted a child. The way we understand adoption matters because how we live it out matters. Is it just figurative, poetic language? Or do you really believe I'm your sister? Do you really believe that the person besides your brother? Because Throughout the New Testament, that's how believers are referred to each other. You're my brother. I'm your sister. They lived this out. It was a big deal. In the Old Testament, God was referred to as Yahweh. We know this. The closest translation we have in English is like Lord or I am. And the way that the, the people of God would multiply was by having children. But in the New Testament, something changes, and he's called Father, Abba. There's a tender God, a loving God, holy, gracious, merciful, and he chooses us and welcomes us into his family, redeems us, and under the new promise or the new covenant, he says the way that we grow our family is that you just extend adoption 
to you and to you and to you, and we all become the family of God. And so wrapping our minds around that word father is important because many of us have had a fatherless upbringing. Either our dad wasn't present or our dad just wasn't around or functioning the way that we think in a healthy way. And if you had a great father, like praise the Lord because you're getting a glimpse of the father's heart. But the truth is that we have a generation that has experienced a lot of fatherlessness. And so that needs to be healed. And we need to confess that hurt to God so that we understand. Because if we did that exercise and we like closed our eyes and I said, imagine God, the Father. Some of you may imagine him like really far in the distance. Or some of you may imagine just like leaning in close. How we think of Father matters. And he welcomes us into this adopted family. The Jew, the Gentile, the kings, the queens, the slave and the prostitute the fisherman and the tax collector, and he gives us freedom. And so my question is, can we actually live out making extended family, making disciples, sharing that adoption with others and not just keeping it to ourselves? So we become the family of God through community, through adoption, and through marriage. And it's beautiful because, see, God is called the God of promises, And the metaphor of marriage is interesting because the word for covenant or promise in Hebrew is bereth. It literally means cutting of the flesh and letting blood flow out. Because marriage, that covenant, that promise, that agreement to each other is supposed to be the most sacred, serious agreement between two people. And they would have this tradition in Jewish weddings where they would do something called the walk of death, and it did not mean like what people would think today. All your life is over, bro. You're never going to be the same again. This sucks. You know, it's not that. It was the walk of death. We have a version of it, actually, but we don't know, like, the meaning of it. You know when the bride walks down the aisle? We We showcase, in our cultures, we showcase the bride and the bridal party, but it wasn't originally like that. It has evolved into that. It was the walk of death. The spouses or the husband and the wife, the bride and the groom, they would walk down and an animal would be split into two and laid out. Imagine resurrecting this tradition. And then the couple would walk around. See, some things are left. You just leave them. They're done. They're Old Testament. Then they would walk around in the figure eight around that animal saying, like that eternity symbol, saying that this commitment was forever. Their love was forever. And then it was to symbolize, as they're walking around there, saying, God, number one, I will not be selfish or else kill me like this animal. Number two, I'm going to die to selfishness and I'm going to welcome selflessness. So in today's language, less of me as I enter this marriage and more of we so that the marriage can thrive. And then we see in the New Testament, Jesus does the walk of death. And he says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be the sacrifice here, and we're going to have more of we because you need to thrive on this planet. I'm going to do this life with you. So we become spiritual family through community, through adoption, through marriage, and by blood. We know that Jesus eventually dies on the cross. He displays true power, true sacrifice, true selflessness, and allows us that confidence to come, 
directly to God, to the most holy place, to have access to him. My friend Joel says, love on the cross was messy. It's not romantic. It was bloody. There was pain. There was gasping of breath. That love that extended forgiveness and new life. So when we believe in Jesus, we believe in the blood that was shed, that was poured out, that makes us related spiritually. And it covers our sin, yes, but it connects us to the original design that God intended for family. In Genesis, Adam and Eve, when they were created and he looks at her and he says, oh, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It wasn't anything sexual. It was a sense of belonging. You are mine and I am yours. It's so beautiful. You see that same sentence resurrect a little bit later on in Genesis with Laban sees Jacob and they're like, oh, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You're my family. And then we see it again in Samuel with David and his friends. And his friends, like, they're like rebels and they're all like justice and they're going, uh, you know, working together in this community. And they look at him and they say, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. David, we are here with you. They are friends. You know, you got those friends that are like, they, they're willing to die for you. And then in the New Testament, we have Jesus show up and give us his bones, and give us his flesh. And in Romans it says you are connected as one body in Christ, that together we are bone of bones and flesh of flesh, bonded and attached in Christ because there is a huge cost that was paid to be part of this family, and it's not counterfeit. It's real. Just like in this world, as we're trying to figure out what's real and what's not real. What can I trust? What do I have to get out? Because it's like distracting. What is it, God? This is real. This is real. We become brothers and sisters by blood, by birth, by marriage, adoption, and community. And so today, I have a question for you to reflect on. Do you feel alone? Because you're not. The thing is that we're waiting, a lot of us are waiting for an invitation. And you've got it. God's already invited you. So now it's up to you. How do you want to show up as Beulah family? The initiative is yours to take. How do we live it out, this concept of being a spiritual family with others in the church? Because in Philippians 2, it says we're supposed to show up on this planet like stars shining in a crooked or perverse, dark generation. We're supposed to be the light that is saying, here's Jesus, pointing people back to Jesus. And so how do we show up here? Maybe we got to get creative. Maybe you got to adopt a grandpa or a grandma. Or maybe it's the other way around, and you got to adopt a grandchild. Maybe you gotta just go knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, are you okay? And don't worry about being annoying. They actually want you to be there. <laughs> you know, like, what are we gonna do to show up in the church and in our city? Because when people will notice that love, it is magnetic, it's countercultural. We live in a culture in North America that's so individualized 
that when that kind of love shows up, it is overwhelming because it's exactly what the soul needs. And so I want to pray with us that we can live this out. Father, I am grateful that we can enter into your word freely. I am grateful that we have access to you as Father. Heal our hearts, Lord. The ones that have been hurt by church, the ones that have been hurt by our earthly families. Lord, I pray for healing. I sense that in this space. That we need healing from that so that we can live out this love that is magnetic, that draws people to you. Let us be like what David and his friends said to each other, bone of bones and flesh of flesh so that whatever hurts one of us, we feel it. And when we rejoice, we rejoice together. God, we want to live out this mission to awaken greater Edmonton to King Jesus, to strengthen us to do so, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.